support and your prayers. Amen. I kind of felt like the um, the preacher uh, who stood up to preach, and this guy wasn't really much for preparation during the week. He just felt like if he stood up, he wouldn't know what to say, and I'm not knocking that because God can work in any way he decides to work. But he got up one Sunday morning, and he said to the congregation, I really don't know what to preach about today. So a little boy raised his hand and said, Pastor, I got an idea. Why don't you preach about five minutes? <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that good hope doesn't feel like that. Amen. Amen. From the text today, 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 7, And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here? that we may inquire of him. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Amiah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But there is one stipulation in the text. He says, but I hate him. Because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. I want to continue on today in this series of, of sermons entitled, Not for Sale. And I want to encourage you today to follow along in your Bible. Keep your Bibles open to the text. Keep your Bibles open to the text. I don't mind if you use the hard copy, the iPad, iPhone, i-whatever. <laughs> Just as long as you don't text and email. Amen. Amen. Technology has its place. Amen. Last week when we left King Ahab, he had just been a recipient of God's grace and mercy. He was, as we found out in subsequent weeks, a wicked king. The Bible says he did more evil in the sight of God than all of the kings before him. I, I kind of think that, that that goes a little bit deeper than what's on the surface there. I kind of think what the author had in mind, the message he was trying to convey, is that he did more evil than all the kings before him put together. He was wicked. He allowed his evil pagan wife Jezebel to use his power and his authority in order to kill Naboth. And to take away his vineyard. God did what God does. Whenever there is ugliness. 
whenever there is evil, whenever there is wickedness, God does what God does. And sometimes God's justice grinds slowly, but it always grinds surely. God did what God does, and God sent Elijah, a prophet, to confront Ahab in his sin. Upon Elijah's deliverance of the news to King Ahab, something remarkable happened. Verse 20, chapter 21, verse 27 records, So it was when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body. Do you see that? And he fasted and he lay in sackcloth and he went about mourning. Because Ahab humbled himself, when he got that word, when he was confronted by the man of God, he did not argue at that point. He did not make excuses at that point. But the Bible says, look at it for yourself, he humbled himself before God. And he became a recipient of God's grace and mercy. I hope you can see the connection between humility, between repentance and receiving God's grace and mercy. The opposite is true. Those who are arrogant, those who are prideful, those who refuse to repent are recipients of God's judgment and God's wrath. Remember, the, the wheels of God's justice turn slowly, but they turn surely. And there are times when when, when the wicked seem as though they are getting, getting away, you know, Asaph said, I, I almost, my foot almost slipped, but I, I went into the temple and then I saw their demise. And the dangerous thing about getting away with wickedness and getting away with evil, the dangerous thing is that it gives the false illusion that I'm getting away, but in actuality, I'm getting bad, but I'm not getting away. Help me somebody. And I want to tell you something today. I just want to encourage you today because some of you working with some folk and it seems like they're doing everything that they can do and that they're getting over and that they're getting promotions and they're getting, they're getting the benefits and they're getting the, they're getting the approval and the applause of people. But I just want to share this with you that those who are practicing wickedness and seem as though they're getting over, they're only fattening themselves up for the day of God's judgment. Like, 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 Kyle, I was talking to Sister Pickett. It's, it's something being married to a pastor because, you know, I was talking to Sister Pickett and I said, you know, I, I was just thinking about Kyle and how, how, how the farmers or whoever, the cattle people just feed them with the best hay. Let them graze, just, you know, I saw a group of cows yesterday. They were just 
heading, heading, back, to, heading back to the bunk, wherever they go, just heading back in a row. And the truth of the matter is, cows are oblivious to the fact that they're just being fattened up for the slaughter. Yeah, yeah, but, but Ahab humbled himself and he became a, a recipient of God's grace and his mercy. And, 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 and it has been said that grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. While mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Is there anybody here that's a recipient of God's grace and mercy? In other words, God has not given you what you deserve. Uh, but, but at the same time, he, 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 he's not giving us what we deserve. But at other times, he's not giving us what we do deserve. Now, notice the grace and mercy of God towards Ahab in chapter 21, verses 28, 29. Follow along in your Bibles. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. No mistake about it. God cannot be fooled. He knows true humility from false humility. And God said, I will not, notice that, underlining you, but I will not bring calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. In other words, Ahab repented and God relented. The, the stuff that God was going to send his way, he diverted it. And so it was. I want to talk just a little bit about that calamity. What, this is what Ahab heard. Go back to verse 19 and verse 21 through 24. Verse 19, God said, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood. Even your, You're the king, but because you have done this, God, dogs will lick your blood. Verse 21, God said, I will send disaster your way. God said, I will wipe out your male descendants. There will be no one to carry on your name, your heritage. Verse 22, God said, I will destroy your house like the house of two other wicked kings, Jeroboam, son of Naboth, and Basha, son of Ahijah. Then God said, as far as your wife Jezebel is concerned, the dog shall eat her. By the wall of Jezreel. In other words, she will not get a royal burial. She will get the same kind of burial as pagans and peasants. Verse 24, God said, the dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. You know, you don't really need to watch reality TV. So all you got to do is read your Bible. There, there's enough reality in the Bible to keep us satisfied. But, but listen, listen, listen. Ahab heard this and, 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 and repented and God relented. Now, today the story resumes in chapter 22 and 1 with three years passing without war between Syria and Israel. 
Then it came to pass that Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to visit Ahab, king of Israel. Now remember from biblical history that the nation was divided. Israel started out with one king. His name was Saul. Saul was prideful and arrogant and disobedient, and God removed him and replaced him with a young shepherd boy by the name of David. God said, I'm putting David in there because David is a man after my own heart, and he will do what I tell him to do. Now, after David came, his son Solomon. Solomon ruled a unified Israel, but then Solomon died, and his son Rehoboam was next in line. Rehoboam had this ironclad way of leading people. And so, and so some of the elders went to Rehoboam, and they said, listen, 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 if you lighten up, because Solomon drove us. It, but if you lighten up, your daddy was hard on us. We followed him, but if you lighten up, we'll follow you. Rehoboam then went and took counsel from some of his young friends. And they said to him, don't, don't pay them in a t- Don't listen to what they else. What do they know? They're just old men. They don't, they don't know anything. And so he said, if you think my father Solomon put it on you, You just watch my smoke. (laughs) And they said, no, 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 we're not having any parts of that. And so the kingdom divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And through the years, through the years, because they were divided, they were weakened. They were not as strong as they used to be. It, it, the, the idea of dividing and conquer, they were not as strong as they used to be. And so in order to strengthen their alliance and bring a measure of security to both leaderships in the south and in the north, Jehoshaphat's son and Ahab's daughter were united in battle. That's the way they did it in those days. If they wanted to, if they wanted to form an alliance, they would, they would marry off their children. And in that way, it forced the two countries to be on one accord because, after all, who wants to kill his own daughter? And who in their right mind want to kill their own son? So it was Jehoshaphat went to visit Ahab. And while there, Ahab said to him, do you know that Ramoth Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hands of the king of Syria. Now, what was the origin of Ahab's question? For the answer, we need to go back to chapter 21, verses 23 through 43, where the Syrians had had been defeated by Israel. As a result of that defeat, Syrian king Ben-Hadad signed a treaty in which he agreed to restore the land, all of the cities, his father, King Ben-Hadad I, and the Syrian army had taken away from Israel. In other words, the son said, after getting whipped, after getting whipped by Jehoshaphat and the Israel army, King Behadad made a treaty. And he said, we're going to give back all the land that our father, my father took 
from you. So, so now here you have it. Three years later, Ahab is deciding to go to war in order to secure Ramoth Gilead. However, however, the problem is that Ahab's ambition, don't miss this now, Ahab's ambition to take the land is not motivated by the Lord, but rather motivated by his lust. Let me say that again. Ahab's desire to have the land at Ramoth Gilead is not directed by the Lord, it's directed by his lust. The same lustful desire which drove him to take Naboth vineyard, are you following me, is driving him to take Ramoth Gilead from King Ben-Hadad. You see, how, you see how that thing works? The same, that, that same zeal, that same drive, that same passion that caused him to want Naboth land is now pushing him and driving him and motivating him to take Ramoth Gilead. Isn't that startling? That just three years have passed. And it's as though Ahab has forgotten all about the grace and the mercy of God. Help me, Holy Ghost. Just three years. Three years have passed, and he has forgotten about God's amazing grace and mercy. He has, it's as, as though Ahab has forgotten the grace and mercy of God. Spiritual amnesia has set in. And he has apparently discarded the memory of the litany of punishment God set in motion against him because of his sins. Like three years and he's he forgotten about that. He, he's, forgotten, he's forgotten about the dog licking his blood. He, he's forgotten about what's going to happen to Jezebel. He, he, he's gotten by with some stuff, and he's forgotten about the calamity that God has delivered him from in his house. Just three years. Obviously, he has forgotten the last time his sinful lust got him in trouble. So it is here three years later, he's about to make the same mistake with King Ben-Hadad that he made with Naboth. Here he goes again, desiring to have something God has not designed or ordained for him to have. Help me, Holy God. I believe y'all going to work with this today. There's a footnote here. We must beware 
of spiritual amnesia. Because it can slip up on any of us. None of us are immune to spiritual amnesia. We need to remember how God's grace and mercy has brought us through. We need to just look back and be reminded of how God brought us through the last time and make up in our minds never to plow that field. I wish I had some help. Never to plow that field again. Somebody ought to say, I won't plow that field again. Good Hope sings so marvelously, I've been there. I done that. I won't go back no more. And besides all of that, I know what happens to people that go there. I, 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 I see what, what happens to them. I, I, I look around and I see all the trouble in their lives and the, the demise in their lives. And, and I understand what's happening. Ah. Make it plain, plain, look plainer, Pastor. Listen, 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 listen. If God has delivered you from some stuff, let's just say, you know, let's just say God has delivered you from an abusive relationship. Folk whipping on you going upside your head, taking your money, talking to you any kind of way, pushing you around, doing you any kind of way, and, and God in his amazing grace delivers you. Why in the world would you go back? God has, in his infinite wisdom, in his marvelous mercy has delivered you from the use and sale of illegal drugs. Why would you return to the same business? If God has spared your life and spared your health, if God has has gotten you out of the nightlife. God has moved you out of the club life. It's God has delivered you from the, the party scene. Why would you go back again? The text reveals that after all God had done for Ahab, he was about to be seduced by a fatal attraction. After God had brought him out, he was about to go back. So it was in verse 4, he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? 
Now notice, this time he does not run home to Jezebel and complain to her. I don't know why the text doesn't, know, the text doesn't mention her, but, but, but maybe he's trying to prove her wrong in her assessment of him as not being able to handle his business. Nevertheless, he still lacks self-confidence, and he's doubtful if he can pull this thing off by himself. He's doubtful that he can run, overrun King Ben-Hadad and the Syrian army, so he calls on King Jehoshaphat and Judah to help him. Isn't that just like folk that want to do stuff they ain't got no business doing? Isn't that just like people who want to start trouble? Isn't that just like folk who want to who wanna keep stuff going? Always looking for somebody else. Some weak ear. Somebody who's gullible. Somebody who's vulnerable. Somebody who don't mind getting sucked in the mess. Ah, and so that's what he does. He tries to he tries to get some help because he feels like he can't get it done by himself. And so and so, uh, he calls on Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat in verses four and five agrees to help Ahab. But first, he wants to hear a word from the Lord. I mean, he, he, he wants to hear a word from the Lord. And so in order to appease him, Ahab agrees and calls 400 prophets who tells him and King Jehoshaphat that the Lord has given his stamp of approval. It amazes how folk put the Lord name and stuff. <laughs> they want to do stuff they ain't got no business. Out, you know, they want to manipulate you. They want to use you. And so they say, well, the Lord told me. Can I tell you something? You need to be careful about the prophets and the people you listen to because everybody who claims to be speaking on behalf of God ain't speaking on behalf of God, not the holy God. And so, and so, and so, and so these prophets come up and they say God has put his stamp of approval to Ahab's venture and that the Lord will give victory to Ahab. But there was something missing. There was something about that thing, pastors, that just did not sit well with Jehoshaphat. Have you ever been there? Folk give you a proposal, and it's just something about that thing just don't sit well. They're trying to sway you, trying to convince you, trying to sell you on something, but something on the inside, let me tell you, the Holy Ghost on the inside tells you that there's something that's not right. Remember now, remember, remember, Jehoshaphat is a godly king. His desires is to follow the Lord's word, will, and ways. But he has gotten himself in a mess. 
You know, we do that sometimes, don't we? I mean, we want to follow God. We got a heart for God. We want to do what God wants us to do. But sometimes we get ourselves in, in, in messes. Can I talk to you just a little bit about Jehoshaphat's mess? He had gotten himself in a mess with Ahab because his son is now married to Ahab's daughter. And he's trying to balance life with a fool as a father-in-law. He's in a predicament. He's walking a tightrope because on one hand, he does not want to disobey God. But on the other hand, he's trying to keep peace in the family. Has anybody been there? You want to do what God tells you to do, but you're trying to keep peace. But when he hears the word from the 400 prophets of Ahab, He's discerning in his spirit that something is not right with this picture. And so he says in verse 7, he asks this question, is there still a prophet of the Lord here? Help me somebody. Is there, is there, is, 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 is there one of God's spokespersons around? Is there still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? What he's saying is, is there anybody here who has not sold out to Ahab? And who will just tell Ahab what he wants to hear? Is there anybody here that's not in Ahab's back pocket? Is there anybody here who has not gotten so comfortable with their lifestyle and not afraid of losing what they have to tell the truth? That's what he's saying. Is anybody here that's not so caught up in all this luxury and these houses and land. You got chariots and you got money and you got big bank accounts and you want it to keep flowing. If there's anybody here who is not caught up in that and willing to tell the truth. Praise his holy name. Jehoshaphat's question stands as a monumental reminder to us today that there are still some folk in God's church who can identify that which is bogus. There are folks sitting in the pews in God's church who can pinpoint that which is phony. Oh yeah, everybody else might be shouting and doing cartwheels, but they sitting there saying, I know ain't nothing to it. Some folk would get up out of their pew and run down the aisle over Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> Praise his holy name. And thank God there are some folk left in church today who are not misguided, miffed, or mesmerized, help me Holy Ghost, by good looks, Good sound, good showmanship, but rather can identify an authentic preacher and preaching from that which is counterfeit. Well, I know I'm right about it. 
Jehoshaphat wasn't fooled one bit by the fakery of the false prophets. It didn't move him. It didn't, it didn't fool him. You could have passed the plate. He would not have dropped one dime in. And if they send me your charge card number, he would not have budge. I heard an illustration some years ago about uh, the Canadian Mounted Police. The counterfeit, the counterfeit squad counterfeit unit and 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 it said that it said that the Canadians um, didn't practice with counterfeit money you know a lot of counterfeit units when you when they when they were teaching them how to deal with it you know they they, they let them feel count they say this is how the counterfeit bills look and feel it this is how this is how this is how it is the Canadians didn't do that they spent all of their time working with real money. I wish I had somebody. They were so familiar with real money until the instant a counterfeit bill touched their fingers. They knew it was fake. They're still prophets who has not been bought. Thus, asking Ahab this critical question is the same question that begs to be answered in the 21st century. Is there still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire in? In answer to Jehoshaphat's question, Ahab said, there is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Amiah, by whom we may require, inquire of the Lord. He said, but I hate him. <laughs> because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Hosaphat in his godly way says, let not the king say such things. Now notice the reason Ahab gives for hating Micaiah. He said, I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Ahab is speaking like a fool who would rather hear a lie 400 times than to hear the truth one time. He would rather adhere to lies that will destroy his life than adjust to the truth that will save his life. He would rather hate the messenger and through that and though and, and, and try and, and think that that would change the validity of the message than to change his wicked ways and avoid God's impending wrath. Now, as God's messenger. I'm charged with opening the Bible week after week, proclaiming the word of God. That's why I'm here. 
week after week. I've been preaching now for more than 37 years, and as most of you know, I have been privileged to pastor Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church now for going on 16 years. Doing my preaching, doing my preaching, I've often sat quietly. During the years of my preaching, rather, I've often sat quietly, alone with God, especially after having preached a sermon that was tough to preach. And I've wondered how did it impact the lives of the congregation, of God's people. I confess to you, I confess to you as I spend a lot of time with God, I wonder what the conversations were like in the cars as people drove home from church. I've often imaginatively invited myself to sit around your dinner table in your family room. And listen to your conversations about the word. I've asked myself these questions. Did they get it? Did the light come on? Will they make the appropriate changes? See, you see, Harlins don't, don't care about that kind of thing. People that just want your money, they don't care about that. Folk that just want an easy life to kick back, tell folk what to do, come scream, holler, do a little acrobat. They don't care nothing about that. But the preachers, like every one of our preachers, like every one of our associate pastors, like all of our teachers, care about that kind of thing. So I wonder sometimes, did the light come on? Will they make appropriate changes? Will there be evidences of transformed lives characterized by changed attitudes and behavior? Or will they rationalize the truth away? Will they go home? Will they leave the sanctuary and look for loopholes? Seek escape clauses. Help me, Holy Ghost. A search for wiggle room. I, 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 I confess to you, I often wonder, will they allow popular opinion, culture, tradition, family members, friends, and even selfish ambitions to rob them of being recipients of God's truth? Will they embrace truth, honor truth, allow truth to have its way in their lives? I know this scenario is true. I know it's played out in your lives. I know it's real because I've been there. For you see, I'm not only a preacher, but I am a congregant of my own preaching. 